And welcome back to Bedouin Banter. I'm your host, Khaled Dosri, and this is the show that has been gone for a couple of months now. Uh, not really a list of excuses coming up, just a list of updates and news, and uh, hopefully uh, some new ideas for the show going forward, and announcements about what we might do uh, outside of the show, and kind of what we can bring into the show as well. So without taking up most of the time, let's first get a, an understanding of the episode we have ahead, which is an episode I like very much. It is one with my friend Tom Romanski, uh, one that I've uh, queued up for recording for a while, and it's an insight into the world of branding, marketing, and the genius uh, creative side of things that is Mr. Romanski, someone who is of Polish descent, who uh, has lived most of his life in Bahrain, so in, in that way he is a, a lot more Bahraini than uh, most of the people I know. And um, he's also been a part of uh, the multicultural movement in Bahrain, so it's somebody that kind of uh, is, uh, you know, has the fingers and toes, and it's a very bad image I'm creating here. <laughs> he, has, he has a hand in so many different pots around uh, the different scenes and communities in Bahrain. He's uh, been uh, at one point in, in multiple bands. He's uh, somebody that is currently working for a marketing company from Six. Uh, he's uh, somebody that is also uh, influential as a creative in so many other fronts, as far as I can tell, from gaming to other stuff. But um, I don't know if he would consider it influential. I say just his existence is influential enough as it is and kind of uh, points to the side of Bahrain that you maybe don't hear enough of. And uh, that's what the show is about, right? So um, let's just get to the uh, current problems we might be facing in the show, kind of give you an idea of what's going on. So this is the first episode we're going to be having in a couple, a series of episodes that are filmed. And um, the new format is going to be hopefully filmed. Those of you who have made feedback and maybe like some, uh, like one protest about the idea that there is like um, a mystery to the audio and not actually seeing the people behind the show. But um, I guess that's what iTunes is for. So I apologize if this breaks the the, 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 the mystery and the immersion and, and kind of draws you out of it. But then maybe YouTube is not for you and you should try the iTunes version of the show. Uh, and that being said, the show will have issues as far as at least this one in the sense that it's the one that gave me the most time, the most hellish time to technically sort out. And at the end of things, I was almost about to scrap the whole idea of having video but decided against it uh, simply because the Ninja Blade has been working out really well as far as capturing data for hours on end, breaking that DSLR time limit of like 20 minutes or so. And uh, it did such a good job, it actually recorded everything. And that means everything, like even the side info, like the ISO and the shutter speed and everything else. And it was really, really not fun to see on film and just got kind of smacked my head against the wall a hundred times realizing that even the viewfinder box is in there so um if it's annoying i'm sorry i apologize just don't look at it and just look away there's the gopro footage of me uh, every now and then because i gave i always give my guests the best mics and the best video so um unfortunately you'll see it cutting back and forth from gopro to the standard dslr and uh Hopefully that's not uh, an eyesore. If it is, just check it out on iTunes and that'll be a regular format. I have also included a little bit of advice and uh, sorry, a little bit of feedback that some people have given me about uh, parsing out the show. So I'm going to be doing at least for this episode, just timestamps on certain sections of the show where there's like uh, specific conversations happening. If you want to skip to that or even skip this long and drawn out intro about a show that hasn't even started yet. 
then the time code is going to be there for you or the timestamp is for you to skip just straight to that. Um, all right. That's, I think, enough about the... the uh, oh, yeah, there is some audio issue, I think. I'm trying to work it out now. So if it's not worked out by the time I upload, I do apologize. It, it, it might sound lower than this recording right now. But the good thing is, is as we go into video, I've finally started to figure out my problems with audio. And I think moving forward, we're going to have consistently good sounding audio because I am learning. I am like the Borg. Okay, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. I just lost like five listeners. <laughs> All right. So announcements and news. Uh, uh, we have, uh, I have been keeping busy and a lot of my friends have been keeping busy helping me out with these different projects from different communities. It feels like I've been involved in like four different communities in the course of a year and um, everything has come together obviously in one uh, three month period of, of spring. Yeah, moving out of winter, all the events seem to happen at the same time, all the MC gigs, all the uh, the different commentating gigs. So I've been doing uh, work for MEGL on the side that's on the weekends. I'll, I'll plug that some other time. But um, thank you guys for helping me out at Dreamland. That was the first Bahraini uh, esports convention that I was honored to be a part of and to be commentating for Overwatch for the second day and actually having an amazing tournament to kind of shine in and uh, be supported by a great staff. Thank you, Ahmed and others. And Ahmed hopefully will be on the show as well. Um, also, I want to give a big announcement for the comedy scene in Bahrain. So we've been having two different and separate comedy scenes, the improv comedy scene or the improv um, uh, dramatic scene or whatever you want to call it, improv. And improvisational comedy is kind of what we're at. And we just launched, actually this week, we're going to be launching, uh, me and my friends, uh, Ahmed Khalifa, Hadefa Siddiqui, Mike Donovan, Amy uh, Vaya, Angela Robinette, we're all part of the same improv group, Hold My Karak. That is hold my karak, as in the T. Don't even go there. And uh, I think he's going to kill me. Uh, if that group has been starting to go uh, kind of street, like head on into the improv scene and kind of going out of our, um, our little uh, impromptu uh, in-house productions and practices because we've not really unveiled what we're part, what we're doing and uh, what we hope to do as far as touring in Bahrain. Touring. I like using that term, I'm touring. And um, we're going to be doing our debut show as the premier improv group in Bahrain at the Raven's Nest. That's at the Raven's Nest in uh, Garden Plaza, Badaya, this coming Monday. Uh, so by the time I upload the show, that'll be probably like Thursday or Friday. So on Monday, 7 p.m. at the Raven's Nest, that is March 12th. You will find us performing our debut show there. Please come. And if you'd like to be part of improv in general, we also have another group, which is the Improvables. That is a, a subgroup within the MTC, which is the Manama Theater group that works under the British club. So that's like one group under another group inside another shell, all incubated in one weird kind of hive-like mind. Uh, like I said, operates out of the British club. That is also usually every Monday, but not this Monday. Uh, at 7 p.m., we run those workshops. It's for beginners. It's for fun. It's for doing improv, learning the dramatic side of improv, short form, long form, even understanding the comedy aspect of it. Uh, if you love that, shit, come come down. Now I have to bleep. God damn it, Khalid. All right. Um, also, there is the open mic comedy night for stand-ups. I have been uh, honored to be a part of the uh, up and coming and kind of next generation of stand-up comedians in Bahrain. And I've met them because of the diligent and tireless work of one Abdullah Nazar, who has been doing an open mic night and uh, open mic night for all arts. So that's singing, poetry, and comedy uh, at the Raven's Nest as well. And that happens once a month. So pay attention to their Instagram account. 
because they put up the the, the sign up link and the time to sign up and everything else on there. So thank you, Abdullah, for allowing me to be a part of that. The whole community has also been kind of backing me up, at least as far as the stand-ups go, to do our own open mic night. And that's something I've been organizing with Epiphany Events. So that's we've done two weeks of that already. And hopefully in a third and fourth and upcoming weeks at a new venue. We were doing it at Dublin's bar in Jaffair. And now we're going to be moving it somewhere else. I don't have the info just yet. But if you're willing to do stand-up at an open mic and no pressure... Of course, there's always pressure, but just no pressure as the sense that uh, at least the community, the stand-ups themselves, we, we have, we've become a big kind of big jelly bear kind of family. And we enjoy laughing at each other, fail miserably or even do amazingly well and encourage one another. So if you're, lo- if you're looking for stand-up, but with support, with a support group that's going to be there for you after the fact, uh, this is the time to start doing stand-up because... Uh, it's been a long time since we've had that kind of grassroots moment uh, and movement in Bahrain. Um, I think my last shout out is going to be for uh, uh, Ruwak Gallery, which I've just heard today actually from uh, Weam Sparink, who's been on the show uh, previously, that the Ruwak Gallery at uh, Adliya has been having issues. And the issue is that I think they're going out of business or they're shutting down because uh, I'm not sure what the reason is. Maybe it's financial support or issues with that. And um, instead of that, there's been a protest movement because they're opening up a restaurant in its place. And anybody that's been to Adliya knows there's too many restaurants as it is. And if you've liked any of the art, art scene kind of events that have happened in Adliya, in Block 338, uh, the the Nest, for example, and all the other art installations that kick off and the, the graffiti and all that. And the majority of that has been supported and started in that area by Ruwak. So you guys really should go out and support, you know, try to find Weam on Instagram. So that's Weam underscore BH, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong about this, but or check out Ruwak Gallery on Instagram. Give them your support and um, and don't let them close this down. Like I'm, I'm not a big art scene kind of person. I do improv comedy. I've done theater stuff for the MTC and the British Club, but I'm not the uh, I'm not as pretentious as we are. Let's say that. <laughs> Sorry, we are. <laughs> She's a Vulcan. She's a Vulcan. She knows what I'm talking about. They're just very cold-hearted people. And anyway, so um, yeah, support them, uh, maybe get them to get a Patreon account up because these kinds of scenes, uh, these kinds of initiatives, you know, they're not always necessarily uh, incubated or nurtured by the uh, the powers that be. And it takes like a grassroots movement. It takes like private uh, uh, kind of private people, private financiers to kind of bring it to life again. And uh, it's kind of the formula for everything from NPR to, you know, PBS. It's uh private donors so maybe convince them to get a patreon account going or something you know a thousand followers goes a long way in supporting something uh, like a rock gallery so um yeah please do that all right i I've, i think I've, I've already strained your uh, patience so um we're just gonna go straight into this next episode and hopefully the series of episodes that are coming up on video please uh, all you bedouins enjoy the show this is Khal the dosri and uh, interviewing Tom Romanski. Hey guys, 
finally back here in the podcast uh, for the first time ever. Hopefully you guys get to see me if shit does not go wrong. That is the first bleep of the day. Uh, trust me, it's fun in post-production. I have a very special guest um, who's actually not supposed to be the first person here on video, but because of technical difficulties, those of us following us on Instagram, please welcome Tomas Romanski. Hi, how's it going? Nice. Glad to be here. Glad yeah. to be here. Is that and, and first on video, that's a, I feel very honored. An honor, yeah. yeah. You're the first white person as well. No, halfy we had before, but <laughs> the first full-fledged, like that old-school Eastern European blood just running through your veins right now. Yeah, but, uh, you know, born, born in, uh, well, not born, but bred in, in Bahrain, I guess. Yeah, so. exactly. You're more behind than a lot of people I know. Yeah, they uh, they do say that. They do say that. <laughs> <laughs> Even Bahrainis, as I remember, like, uh, like considering like I've been going to school here since high school, and uh, that's where I first met you. Yeah, Bahraini school, like tenth grade or something. Tenth grade. Yeah. So you're technically more of a Bahraini than I am. Yeah, You've probably. Been here longer. <laughs> you have more of an old school root to you. Uh, Tom, uh, thank you for being here today, and. Uh, Pleasure. Please take the moment to introduce yourself. What do you want people to know about you? I, I can't even start. You're an autodidact. You're somebody that's self-taught, self-learning, also What's educated. What's an autodidact? An autodidact is the... I autodidact, think that's the, yeah. okay. So somebody that is, I consider, can learn or pick up anything with, by themselves. So you can, if you decide you're going to learn the guitar, you freaking learn the guitar. You'll go... with Even before YouTube was YouTube, I knew you as the kind of person that would teach yourself to do anything. Yeah, I guess I've, uh, I mean, I've always had a very, like, I guess you say eclectic interest base. So yeah. lots of random things would interest me. And I would, you know, I mean, my folks always kind of taught me to, you know, always try stuff and, and, you know, experiment with things that, you know, like activities or hobbies or music or whatever it might be. Um, I guess, yeah, I, it's nice that, that you say that. I mean, I never thought of myself as really like that I could learn anything and stuff, but really, like, you were the guy that introduced me to Tool and you'd get into anything. Like, it, it, I feel like there was a few people that I knew that were not judgmental and were very exploratory, curious, whether it's, you know, anime, whether it's movies, whether it's, you know, experimental, yeah. anything. You just... I, I guess it was... I mean, I wouldn't be able to really claim that as my own. Okay. Uh, because, like, you know, for instance, like, Mo and a lot of, like, friends, Nick you know, introduced me to a lot of different kinds of music. Mm. And like, I mean, Mo was the person that showed me Tool, which is, you know, then I kind of loved it and, you know, kind of told other people about it. Okay. I guess I've always... Being humble then is one of your traits, uh, I guess. I try, I try. <laughs> I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I've always had quite a... And this is maybe something that's really beautiful about Bahrain is that I've always had such a mix of friends from different cultures and countries and yeah. like backgrounds and, you know, whatever, like, you know, musical styles and... Mm that kind of got me exposed to quite a lot of stuff. And growing up, I mean, my parents were into lots of crazy kind of music and they kind of, uh, you know, weren't very judgmental with with anything really. Yeah. So I was very open-minded. So when someone would, you know, play me something or show me an anime, which, you know, maybe I hadn't watched, I wouldn't kind of say, oh, no, this isn't really my thing. Like, I'd always give everything a chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess that's, you know, growing up that way, it makes you quite open-minded. So then... You know, do you think that to, you would, would you would also say that not just your family do you say Bahrain kind of like also does it in, induce that kind of thinking because that's how I felt when I came to Bahrain for the first time it felt like it was already a cultural melting pot people are kind of primed to mm-hmm. allow other ideas to kind of float and uh, you know yeah I think I think you're you're right I mean I guess like historically Bahrain has always been like a trading port or whatever yeah, so yeah. 
you know, since the days of Tylos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's since since those old days, they've always had that kind of in their blood in a way, you know. Yeah. So, you know, when you kind of transfer it to now, you know, these times, I mean, you meet Bahrainis that are just into all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is quite cool, and so it does foster that, you know, openness. I guess. I mean, I've lived in a few Middle Eastern countries, like in Qatar, and in I mean, I was raised in Dubai actually, mm-hmm. um, but Bahrain. Just has different. like it felt real, legitimate. Yeah, it just has like an extra sort of like I don't know, like a, I don't want to say tolerance because they're all quite tolerant in a way, but just people are a bit more eclectic, I guess, in Bahrain. And they're you know? a lot, a lot more used to kind of you know diversity in all its yeah, forms. Yeah, you know, we're not just talking ethnically; we're talking everything from like what people are yes. interested to. Like I remember in Saudi was you know even if we're talking just about gaming like mm-hmm. that, not many people were into PC gaming everybody yeah. was console gamer when I came to Bahrain you'd see the diversity of yeah. everything from yeah. what movies people are into what you know genres they're into whatever it is the music all that it yeah. is sure. maybe predominantly metal is still the like the king of yeah, all things but metal is always the king of <laughs> the all things the king of all things no matter <laughs> what it's a Middle East thing but yeah, Tom, we're, uh, let's get back on to uh, introducing yourself. Uh, you're not just this person, this renaissance man. You're also uh, an accomplished marketer king, the guru of marketing <laughs> in Bahrain. Yeah, my boss will be very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I work in, in branding and marketing, mm. uh, which I kind of, to be really honest, fell into totally by mistake. Uh, when I was finishing high school, my parents were basically like, I mean, I didn't really excel at anything specifically. I wasn't like, oh, he's like very sciencey or he's like super good at art. So there's a clear kind of career direction. But he's a um, jack of all trades. Yeah, I guess. Jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really into music in high school and I was my, I guess my dream was, yeah, I want to go and be a, you know, a guitarist in a band. That's what like, you did do. I, I did do in the end. I mean, it was a, you know, just a, like a cover band and stuff. But, you know, I guess you could say I half, half made my dream come true. Because the truth is, I, I never dreamt to be a rock star. I never thought, oh, I'm going to be like famous and a rock star. Like, I just wanted to like... The you want to feel like a, you had the skill set of a rock star. You were like accomplished. I, in, I literally just wanted to be like a session musician. Okay. Like, I didn't want to be necessarily famous or anything. I just wanted to be like, that is my job. I'm just, you know, a musician. Yeah. And that's what I get paid for. Whether I go on stage or whether I like touring the world, like I wasn't really thinking of that, you know. Um, so I kind of thought, okay, I'll go and study music. And, I, you know, I kind of went to my folks and said, listen, I finally picked a career. And they were like, no, no, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, you're not going to do music. I mean, they were, they were supportive in the sense that they said, look, why don't you... And it was some of the best advice they gave me. Yeah. They said, look, just get a job or do a career where you're actually going to make money that yeah. you don't hate, that you kind of enjoy, so that you have money to do all this other stuff and buy guitars and play, you know, yeah, which was yeah. a fair point. Because, I mean, if you think of all the people who decide to be musicians, I mean, 1% <laughs> are going to make a living out of it. The rest are going to end up in, like, you know, yeah. poor and, and starving. I know how you feel, but at the same time, I feel like I, I wish I had uh, parents that were that harsh. And deep down, I can see their disappointment mm-hmm. in so many so many angles. But at the same time, there's this kind of common accepted thing in Saudi. <laughs> you know, you're you're kind of like put under the the heel of 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 everything from society to culture to what you're. So if you're if you're a weirdo, people are like, oh, okay, at least he's not that. You know. <laughs> Like, yeah. it's good. It's okay. He can, as long as he's not into the, 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 the weirder stuff and the, 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 the <laughs> underground. Hope for him, yeah. yeah, as long as he's not crime or anything else, he's yeah. not going into like weird politics and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's just, uh, he's a geek. That's good. Yeah. He's, no, yeah. geek is good. 
But I, yeah, so I mean, my, my parents were good. I mean, they weren't harsh. They were always, uh, you know, they kind of helped me pick something. And, uh, you know, I kind of just figured with my dad, we sat down and kind of worked out, okay, well, I, you know, I'm kind of creative, I guess I can write. Um, and I, you know, can mix that with business somehow. So we kind of figured, okay, why don't you study marketing? Yeah. So it seemed like the logical sort of choice. Um, and then, you know, I studied marketing and it was fun. And uh, I mean, you know, in uni, I won't say that I was super engaged with it. I wasn't like passionate about marketing. It was just, you know, okay, I started a degree. So, I mean, I got to finish it. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of, kind of end up, ended up coming back to Bahrain, working here. And then sort of through just, you know, as life happens, I guess, various jobs. And I started at one company and then kind of started enjoying it. And then, you know, as it kind of went through, I ended up at the agency, which I'm at now, which mm. is from six um, and I do more like brand strategy which is actually as it turns out something that I really really enjoy so yeah. starting off with something a bit random and just kind of picking up some degree because I had to go to uni I ended up in a direction which you know I really you know now I really enjoy what I do so so which is marketing and branding and strategy so here's the thing right you're, you're kind of describing the reason why I wanted you here because you're one of those people that uh, I feel like in every field and every profession you have somebody that is able to bridge the two halves of a human brain right mm-hmm. the strategic critical thinker and the creative mind you know the the, the, the ability to kind of be human and uh, uh, connect with real people right yeah, and how their sure. emotions are and I feel like when you describe your marketing strategies, your branding strategies, and everything else, you're kind of tapping into both. Is that something that is common in your field? Or is it you're like, not to kind of make you putting on the pressure to toot your own horn, mm-hmm. but to say, how often do people in branding and marketing, whether globally or in the Middle East, <laughs> they tap into both and kind of desire to blend both? Uh, to be honest, I mean, in, in marketing, it's like, I mean... Like you said, the, the kind of mixing the right and left brain is, I mean, it's it's the common, like, that's what you should be doing, right? Right. So that's the, the goal. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you have to research, you know, your target market or you have to research your products or whatever. You have to have some science behind what you're doing. But then there's also an element of sort of intuition and experience and just sometimes, you know, something feels right and you not can't necessarily say, well, this is the number that proves it's correct, but you just, you know, this is the right approach, let's say. So you have to kind of find that balance. To be really honest, I mean, you know, internationally, it's done much more. I think locally, the industry still has a little ways to go. Yeah. And uh, by locally, you mean Bahrain or the Middle East? I would say the Middle East because that's that's the majority of my career has been here. Yeah. I've done some projects outside, but, you know, Bahrain is really more of what I know. Um, and I think slowly it's kind of catching up, but it, like people don't here want to really invest in the research part for some reason. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that not everyone, obviously. Some people we have, like I have some clients that I work with that do, are very kind of keen on, we have to make sure we research things and it, you know, we don't take decisions subjectively. We have yeah. to, you know, because that's the thing in marketing and in, as with any sort of art form, it's very easy to be subjective. Right. To say like, you know what, I like this, therefore everyone will like it. Which is, you know, it's kind of a fallacy because you're not necessarily the target audience, you're not necessarily the kind of mindset that, you know, you might be, selling your product or your brand to so you know but a lot of people do that here they'll just say i like it or i don't like this or i, I do like that therefore that's kind of what we should be doing with that subjective perspective yeah with that subjective but... perspective rather than kind of taking themselves a little bit out of the equation say like okay i might not like this mm-hmm. but will the person that i'm actually trying to communicate to like it or not and that's i think what people here find hard to do sometimes to get out of their sort of like just looking at something from their perspective. So internationally, yes, there's a much more of a, 
I guess you could say like scientific approach or focus on the, the research and data. Um, but nowadays, like especially the stuff we do, and it's been quite helpful for us, like we do a lot of uh, digital marketing, right? Right. Which uh, like digital and social media, that's like where everything is going nowadays, you know? So how does that affect like, uh, because, you know, we kind of take a while to catch up on anything here, whether it's strategy or you sure. know, uh, even creative thinking. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, we let the the West and other places kind of test out the field, and once something has become like an established format, right. then we start to to use it and never actually you know uh, push the the. We don't pioneer, we don't trailblaze. So you feel like digital marketing is still there? It's still prototypey in a way, or is it? People have kind of already are experimenting in different ways. Um, I think people are definitely experimenting. I mean, there's not a lot of like. I, I mean, here I can kind of toot my our own. Okay, board. go ahead. Yeah. To be honest, like like. Where we're at with From Six, like the stuff we do for digital or the digital marketing, it, no one really, no other agency really does it to the level we do. You know, right. um, I mean, we have some really good people on our team um, that are just they really know what they're doing. And the thing with digital that's great is that you can actually show like a client, for instance, results, right? Yeah. So you can tell them, listen, this is how much money we spent on your project or communication this is how much uh, let's say like leads or sales or something that we've generated right. and here's your return on investment so when you look at a lot of these guys especially when you look at like banks or real estate companies and you show them the numbers they're like oh okay shit this actually like this works it's you've working. shown me yeah. it's work but you know when it comes to other kinds of uh, advertising like um, you know let's say like above the line campaigns you know so that's sort of things like radio and print and outdoor you can't really track that like, if I have an ad, I mean, you can track it to, to a degree, but it's much harder. You're talking track. about traditional media, media and yeah. Data, right? Yeah, like, like if like I do, an, let's say I, make an, I have an ad for some product or something, right? It's hard for me to, to really gauge or to show, like, a client, out of all the marketing and things that they might have done, yeah. this ad resulted in exactly this amount of leads or calls or whatever. Right, yeah. But with digital, you can do that, right? So I can have a piece of communication and I can track how many people clicked on it or how many people went to the client's website. And that how immediately... How organic it is, yeah, how much yeah. engagement, all that stuff, yeah, yeah. You can track all that stuff. So you can tell the client, look, this is all the money we spent, this is all the stuff we did, and these are all the different results and things that uh, happened, right? Which is great because then the client can look at it and go to his CEO or go to his board and justify all their spend and say, listen, I've used up this money and this is exactly what's happened with it. Yeah. And people love that, right? People want to know, especially in business, where their money is going, what's the result, how effective it is. And obviously, it lets us track things, right? So, yeah. you know, we can do a campaign and we know from our side, okay, did it work? Did it not work? What do we need to do better next time? Which you can't really do with ads and stuff. Again, it, you can focus group testing and all that, but it's expensive. It takes a long time to do. So that's why, like, naturally, everything is just going to digital. Like, everyone's... Yeah. It's like, moving towards that. But it's, uh, here's a question I asked you before because we had this conversation, me and you. Do you feel like uh, culturally, do we have in the Middle East? Oh, that sounds a lot better. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sound much more. I know uh, it's a lot more. It's romantic. a bit more seductive. It's a bit, yeah, this is this is a marketing strategy. Right <laughs> this is getting seductive. But um, how do you know when you when you kind of introduce uh, a format that works? Mm -hmm. And you're speaking when you when you mention these people that you're speaking about right now. Are we talking about like massive corporations or mid-sized companies or even small businesses? Um, I mean, we have a mix, to be honest. We do some, we do some digital marketing for one of like the really, really big banks. Mm. Um, we do some social media for kind of small startups. So right. we don't really have a, 
uh, we have a quite a wide like a tier. Wide yeah, I mean, we, we have some, you know, big real estate company that we, uh, you know, we do all kind, you know, digital and social okay. media and stuff. So, so where, where I'm going with this question is this. If you have that much variety, mm-hmm. right, do you see a major distinction in the big size companies and the mid-sized companies? The smaller, you know, the everyday guy that's just opened a vitamin store and mm-hmm. he wants to, you know, go heavy into digital. He's on Tumblr. He's on, you know, the right. stories. He's doing everything else. And he's, he's got maybe... He doesn't can't afford it maybe, but he's dedicated enough time to have a social media guy there mm-hmm. doing all that and reaching out. When you talk to these people, do you feel like there is an understanding that the format, this paradigm, since we've shifted away from traditional media, mm-hmm. is there constantly staying up to pace or are they looking for a set format and they're like, okay, found it, this is what works, I'm going to stay on with this format for the next five years? Like how often do they evolve? Evolve? Um... I mean, I guess it really comes down to us in a way, right? Because that's kind of what, in a way, I guess people pay us for, right? In a, in a large part. They want us to tell them or to advise them on what they should be doing, right? right. I mean, you know, if they're experts in marketing and they know it all, then they don't actually need us, right? There's no yeah. point paying us if you already know what you're doing. Uh, you know, that's just like the honest truth. So people come to us because they're, you know, it's not that they don't know, but they're kind of asking, they want help. You know, okay, look, I know I should be doing this or that or the other, but maybe they need a strategy or they maybe can't like create all the content or, yeah. you know, there's various kind of reasons um, why someone would come to us. I think, you know, people are catching on. I think, I don't know, in my experience with branding and marketing, and I've worked with, you know, quite a diverse set of clients, big and small. Um, there's just, I guess people are a little bit scared in Bahrain to sometimes be the first to try something new. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been in a meeting before with, with a, you know, a, you know, marketing guy. A hamour, as we uh, say. A hamour, yeah. <laughs> hamour. A big fish. He was yeah. definitely a hamour. Yeah. Um, and we were, you know, talking about, we were pitching him an idea for a campaign and it was something that hadn't really been done before. And mm. he was kind of like, okay, but, um, you know, if no one's done it before, then then what if it like doesn't work? Uh, we're like, okay, I mean, that's you kind of have to take a risk sometimes. And you, right. you gotta, you can't just be the first and take no risk at all. But his kind of opinion was like, no, but if, you know, people talk and if it doesn't work, then they'll, they might talk badly about me and, yeah. you know, and, and we were kind of a bit, okay, but you got to take some kind of risk. You can't just always be the second to do stuff because, yeah. you know, that's not really See, great. This but, is, this is what I like about you. You're being a bit humble about this in reserve, but there's this, this aspect, this is where your human <laughs> side kicks in, right? You don't just go with the data. Like a lot of people would aggressively push and be like, mm. no, this is how it's done. You know, trust like, and they'll just hammer it in that that's what everybody's doing mm. until the guy feels the pressure that, you know, this is what everybody's going. This is the direction. But do you, this is, is this where your creative side kicks in where, you know, you know, you've been working in bands, you understand mm. that you have to be, especially in the Middle East. What I love about the Middle East, it kind of trains you to understand how to reach out to different people. You know, you're being sensitive to different cultures, different mindsets. You know, people uh, kind of do business in different ways as well. Some people do it fast. Some people do it slow. Yeah. So has that helped you in that way, being that kind of a, like a translator of different cultures? Um, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, anyone in our industry who has the balance of the two is always going to benefit, right? Because, right. you know, half our job is, yes, there's the data and there's the kind of like the research and the science and all that. But obviously, a huge part of our job is like the relationship and the human aspect, right? Mm. That you can't really have, I don't think you'd be as successful or a person will be as successful if they have one without the other. Like you can't be just like purely emotional and just relationships because in the end, you have to, you have to deliver, right? You can only exactly. hold a relationship for so long with 
some kind of client, but actually all the work you're doing is shit and you're yeah. not really delivering, but you have a great relationship, like that's going to fizzle out eventually. Yeah. But then at the same time, you know, a client, like, you know, you have to, it's like a, my boss always, Penny, my boss always says like, when you work with a client or you, you start a big project, it's like you're getting into a relationship with that person, right? You have to have a trust. You have to have, you have to know when to, when to push a, a bit. dinner day. Yeah, you exactly. You got to schmooze yeah. a little. And you, you, gotta, you reveal a bit about yourself. You're exactly. not being too like pushy as well. You're, yeah. You, you have to take an interest. I mean, I always try with my clients to not really just... Like in the end, look, you're spending a lot of time with these people, you know, whether you're on the phone or you're meeting them, you know, like I try and get to know them. And, and, and I honestly, I think most of the people in the company I work in, you know, we try and get to know the, everyone we work with as, as people, like whether it's clients, whether yeah. it's partners, because you do spend so much time with them. You get into stressful situations sometimes. I mean, sometimes stuff does get, you know, shit hits the fan yeah. and, you know, you got to kind of uh, work together to make things, you know, work. Effectively. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, I think you have to have that balance, you know, I mean, I, you know, when you look, I, I guess when I look at life in general, like I always try and look at life has to have balance, right? You can't uh, go too far to either, you know, to either side of any which spectrum. Which I do all the time. <laughs> which which is fine and, and, it, and it happens. But I think really to be kind of happy in life and, and I think a lot more, you know, these days about kind of happiness and what yeah. makes people happy and, you know, is it a mindset? Is it a things you have? I don't know. But I think balance is always the thing that I kind of come back to in everything I read. And that's and that's that's a good about. point you bring up. Like now, here's here's we're gonna like move away from the, the corporate aspect of you know mm-hmm. talking to clients and everything else, and actually get down to you as how do you then manage to find that balance in your personal life when you're talking about you know you're in a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. You you also have to invest the human aspect into your 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 clients and your work. So you can't just be a robot. You know, there's other mm. people that clock in nine to five. You know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be just like, you know, Mr. Roboto just going in. Mm. I don't know you. You don't know me. Do this, do this. So then I have energy for personal stuff. And but would my... you would you really want that though? Because no. I, I, would find that, <laughs> I, would, I would find that really draining. Like if I had a... I mean, I guess there's also like people cut out for different things. That's, I mean, right. obviously not everyone's the same. I don't think I'm a person who could, for instance, I don't think I could ever work in like an accounting firm and literally yeah, go yeah. in, yeah. you know, work with numbers, maybe speak to someone once or twice that I don't really give a shit about and right. then leave. Like to me, that would actually drain all my energy and it would be soul destroying. I feel you. So, it's because I'm antisocial in a way. I have, the, I've, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting better. My wife says I'm getting better at it, but I have like a limited pool, like of my mana, my, my reserves and resources that goes into like feeling like, okay, I'm talking to this person. I want to engage. I want to know, I want to know something about his life. I want to get to know his family and, and everything else. And I, I, a lot more than I was, you know, as a kid, I was programmed mm-hmm. into me to just avoid too much interaction. You remember me as a, a guy of, of very few words, maybe, <laughs> yeah. but only to the people that I knew that I felt mm. like, oh, they, they're the people I want to invest a lot of energy into, which most people would say that's kind of what they fit into that category. But at some point, especially when I'm doing entertainment, because you have to do like, you know, real genuine connections, you have to go in, stroke some egos, mm. you have to talk to people, you have to play a little politics here, yeah. you have to do that. And you can't just be fake about it because at some point you're going to get like called out in there or something. Called out. And, and then I feel like a dick. I just, this is one thing I'm always scared of is, is that I feel like I have, you know, misled somebody into thinking the relationship is not what it is. But then now that I'm in my own personal life, like I go back, maybe for you, you do jujitsu, whatever it is. Right. And you come back and you're like, okay, these are the guys at the gym. Mm. This is my, uh, you know, my intimate other, my partner, my wife, whatever it is. 
And do you, do you feel like you have more time for them? Does it energize you? Does it take away from that? No, I think it's, uh, I look, I've always been, um, like I've never been antisocial, I would say like I've, since I was a kid, I was like going up to strangers and saying hi to them and just, you know, like I've never been a shy person in my life. Um, so even when, you know, like I said, I, I played with a, in a cover band for, you know, like three, four years yeah. we played a, you know, like obviously small gigs in Bahrain, but we, we played like, we opened for Top Loader once. That was our like culmination of uh, <laughs> the culmination of our achievements. We were, we opened for Top Loader and then GDN printed our picture and said we were Top Loader, which was, which oh was, no, which was great for us. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, so we, we, you know, we played on stage a few times and I, I never really got like, I would say too nervous or like, you know, you get a bit of a jitter, but I was never kind of like had stage fright or anything. So I've always been quite good with, with people and striking up conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, even at parties, like I can just, I'll just go and speak to anyone because for me, I don't know, I find that interesting. Like it's never fake. I never kind of will go and try and get to know someone or say hi to someone out of like some, uh, yeah, but if you're, uh, if you're naturally antisocial, you sometimes you're just pushing yourself. That's what sure, I used sure. to do for a long time is like, you know, if I don't do this, even like fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But at some point I'll get to click with somebody where I will go, you know what? No, what are you afraid of? You know, you're, you're connecting with this mm-hmm. person now. And, but I, I had to push yeah. to get out of that because you know it's it's harder like to connect when you're talking about a culture sometimes mm-hmm. when i grew up in saudi where connecting meant you're causing friction you right. could be causing conflict you know what yeah. i mean so you, people will wait it out we, we have a term in, in the middle east called right and that means like the time where you're both chill with each now you both can let down your shields right okay you know and like okay i know you you know me and you don't want to make the mistake of you know letting it down too soon right before you know what the other person is around like scared to get hurt or something yeah you're scared of getting hurt (laughs) at the same time you're scared of hurting somebody else as well you don't want to be that guy that you know offends offends somebody or or causes friction i guess maybe that's i don't know when it you know you get into this whole i guess psychological thing of like the introverts and extroverts but i think you know i I guess deep down inside like all human beings want to connect in some way right like that's I guess life is all about connecting, whether it's love or friendship or companionship, whatever. So I think maybe when it comes to like introverts or people who are antisocial, I mean, they still have that need to connect. It's just yeah. their journey to connect is a little different, you know? Yeah. I mean, a, a good example is, is, is me and Zarena, right? Like I'm... Can you tell we'll everybody go, who she is? Oh yeah, Zarena is my, uh, the love of my life. Yes. My, my, uh, the beauty. My, the beauty. Yes. My, uh, yeah. She's my, my girlfriend. Yeah. So <laughs> you got good. The blushing is on the camera now. You know, like, people say beauty. I mean, I call my guitars beauty. Oh, so, okay. you know, well, um, yeah, Zarina, Zarina is the, the, you know, the one and only. So, also another person I'd love to have on the show. Like I'm you sure. pair of you as well one day. <laughs> I'm sure you could convince her. I think she'd be really funny on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, so, I mean, she's kind of introverted and I think I'm pretty extroverted. So, you know, but obviously we both have friends, but it's just like our parameters, I guess, are different. Yeah. You know, like I have very few close friends, but I have a lot of acquaintances. I mean, I know loads of loads of people that I, you know, can call for a beer or whatever, but they're not like close friends. You know, I'm not going to yeah. talk to them about deep stuff. But Zarina doesn't really have acquaintances. She'll have, you know, a, a few like really close friends and that's kind of it. Um, and she once said to me, it was quite funny that, you know, I was, I was, there was like a new couple or a new group of people that yeah. I kind of just started to get know, to know. And I was like, listen, let's go and like meet up with these people and, and, you know, see if we can make like new friends or whatever. And she was just like, you know, babe, I mean, yeah, I'll come with you. Like, it's fine. But 
just so you know, like my, my friendship hard drive, it's like full, you know, like, <laughs> like I don't need more friends. Like I'm good with the friends I have. And, yeah. and, and I guess that's maybe like a kind of introvert extrovert. Like she's like, she's happy with, with, you know, that she's got some really good friends that are obviously, you know, they're my friends as well, but she's good. You know, she's, she doesn't need to kind of meet or need, you know, kind of get to know new people. Mm-hmm. Not, that's not to say she's not good in social situations because right. she is. I mean, she's really chatty. And, yeah, that's and the thing. I was great, the opposite. You know. I liked a small, like growing up, I liked a small group of people. Mm. But the reason was entirely different. It's because I could control the situation right. and feel comfortable only around those four or five right. or whatever it is. And then I slowly grew up, like grew, like grew that circle of empathy mm. and even like realizing, okay, you know, relationships are not burdens. You know, right. people, you grow from one another, you become yeah, a family, yeah, you learn from one another, you appreciate. But then there's also like the opposite where I go too far yeah. <laughs> and I'm like talking to everybody and I can't get everybody the attention they deserve or the time yeah. and commitment they need. So finding that balance is important. But with you two together, like mm-hmm. and how you deal with your stuff, her being that way and you at your job being, you know, completely the other way. You have to interact with a lot of people. And so show, show a little bit of genuine nature. But but she does too, to be honest. Because, I mean, she works in events, which is even exactly so even more extroverted. But so how, she do, how does she do it compared to you? Like I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird because... I don't know, to be honest. I mean, she's she's just... She is a very good personal person. A very personable yeah. person. Um, you know, you can't, you meet her, like, you can't not like her, you know, she's yeah. just such a nice kind of happy, positive, positive yeah, person, yeah. you know, so, um, but I guess it's different, I mean, maybe it's, it's, you know, she tries hard to make sure that she's like that, she's not going to kind of go to a party or, or a business meeting and kind of be grumpy and, and, yeah. and sad, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that's not to say she is at home, obviously, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I guess it's a, it's a perspective thing, you know, like, I, for instance, like having lots of acquaintances and I'm happy to have, you know, you know, three or four close friends. Um, she's happy just having four or five close friends and yeah. not really, you know, uh, the other acquaintances. But it, it's it's kind of interesting what you said about the, like, I guess, getting, like, letting your guard down in a way. Yeah, you know? putting because down shields. that's what she's always very much told me. Like, you know, when she gets to know someone, when she's getting to know someone, like a friend or whatever, you know, it takes her time to become comfortable with that person to sort of, you know, they have to meet up a few times, just kind of yeah. get to know them. And then she can kind of open up a bit more and they can, you know, they can start, like the friendship process is like, uh, takes longer, but it, it's like deeper in a way, you know, yeah. whereas, whereas me, I guess because I've always been quite like, uh, just open as a kid. And I, and I guess maybe from my mom and I have to maybe. Really give my mom props for this. She was always very like, my mom is a very like cool person. She's, she's a very talkative person. Very, very open, talkative, very, very yeah. social, very like, you know, very just kind of like, you know, she doesn't really care what people think, you know, she's not, I mean, okay, she doesn't not care what people think, but she doesn't let it bother her. You know, if someone makes a bad comment, she's not going to kind of be like, oh, okay, I'm going to feel bad about it. Yeah. She's very confident and she knows who she is and she knows her value. And, and I think that always kind of inspired me and, and my dad as well, you know, so I guess the difference is that when, when I meet someone first time, like I'm happy to just be fully open and just be like, listen, this is, right. this is what I'm into. This is what I'm like. And okay, if they don't like me, then it's fine. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. Like not everyone has to. Yeah. Uh, and although I do have a thing, like I hate when people not don't like me. But yeah, that's where but, we're, uh, we're both overthinkers. It's, it's right? kind After of like fact, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I've had to, I guess, over time, sort of like train myself a bit to you know, like you don't have to always be bothered by everything. There's always gonna be people that don't like you. There's always gonna be people that will have a problem. And I guess the the thing I kind of put in my head is like, look. You don't have to always agree with people to, to still be friends and respect them. And, right. and I think that is, you know, important. I think people have this weird view of, like, if someone disagrees with me or if their views are contrary to mine, right. we somehow can't be friends or it causes some issue. Like, I'm, Yeah, I don't get that. Like, I had a situation very recently where I was, um, 
I was I was talking to somebody who was a close friend. Well, not he's a he's a friend of a close friend. He, I consider him a close friend. I don't know how he feels about me, but um, to be fair, I was I didn't even realize I was broaching a very sensitive topic, and I won't get into what the topic was. Mm-hmm. But I was pushing because they they had an opinion about the topic, mm-hmm. right? And I'm just I'm I'm this guy like especially since I started the podcast, all my friends in, in our personal situations, I have to learn how to not be the fucking interviewer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop and realize, you know, don't don't be training your like question skills right now, buddy. Walking like, around your auto recorder, yeah. like sixty minutes every time. Yeah, yeah. No, but I was like I was pushing a bit maybe, and um, I didn't realize it. I was just like it was a person that I knew. At a very uh, arm's length kind of way. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I've been practicing so much to kind of like quickly get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. And I do that by like seeing what they feel about things. You know, like it's yeah. kind of you're putting out the feelers. What do you think about this topic? What do you think? And you just want to understand the person. Sure. Because I've developed a way of kind of reaching out to anybody, mm-hmm. no matter what their background is and what their journey is, right? And But with him, it was for the first time. I hadn't seen it in a long time since like I was a kid in, mm-hmm. in Saudi and all that. I realized that the pushing came became like oh wow uh, he sees it as what's what's your intention what's the point why are you trying to like get Mm -hmm. to know me that quickly and push that quickly and i realized there is um an aspect of a threat to it Mm -hmm. right you are forcing somebody to put down the shields when you didn't realize you were doing it Mm -hmm. even though that's uh, in one culture right if you look at the dutch and most of eastern europe it's about how quickly you guys can get to know each other how quickly? But I don't know. I think I think that's a... Is it a, a it, it's generalization it, almost? But I think it's an interesting point um, because, yeah, I've, I've kind of found that too. I think people here can be like a little bit almost, not defensive, but but yeah. It, Guarded. It's, it's, yeah, they're like a little skeptical. Like if yeah. you're trying to be too friendly almost, it's kind of like a... Why? Why being why too friendly, doing? right? Yeah, it doesn't give, they don't give you the benefit of that. But I think, you know, when you mentioned like the Dutch and stuff, like I always thought the Dutch and the Swedes and like the Finnish and Norwegians, mm-hmm. like those kind of like a Scandinavian... They were all super open and, and very yeah. friendly. But apparently that's actually not the case. Really? Um, you know, they, they're apparently quite a uh, like close-knit community. Like, I have a few friends who lived in, in uh, like, Amsterdam and stuff. And they said that it's, it's quite hard to, like, really befriend, you know, like, a, a Dutch person that easily. You know, yeah. I'm not saying you can't. But it, it, they, they take a time to let you into their kind of real inner circle, you know, to be like kind of invited to their house for dinner and stuff. Gotcha. So they, they kind of have their little close-knit communities, um, you know, so, so they're not actually that easy, like, which I had that conception too. I thought like, oh, these guys are like super friendly. And I mean, you know, you think of like places like Amsterdam, they're just so tolerant. Yeah. And everything is like so chilled. But it's weird. It changes know. from place to place. And I, I like, I've met a ton of Dutch people online that were very, I don't know if it's because of the aspect that they were online and I could just hear their voice on headsets and stuff like that. But they're very, like a lot of people, English people consider them rude, for example, because they're very like direct straightforward, and yeah. at your face. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. is at, at your face. So I never, I f- always f- felt like that was to me something I never had, mm. but I liked because then I wouldn't be paranoid about what somebody's intentions are. Yeah. They're just telling you what they are. He's a dick. That's it. He's just <laughs> yeah, a dick. They're not sugarcoating it. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the fear when I'm talking about that guy, that friend. He's, he's worried that I might be a secret dick. Do you know what I mean? Like that I'm just, you know. Nobody dick. wants to be a secret Nobody dick. Nobody wants to be a secret dick or dick it under the radar or yeah. anything. He just, you, uh, and, and it comes off like that because it, you, yeah, it, might, uh, sure. you, it might come off as unusual or unexpected to his standards. But by the end of the night, I felt like... I said something. I was like, guys, we're not, like, we're in a table of friends. And maybe I made it a bit awkward. But never actually, at the end of it, ended up really well. Like, people mm-hmm. felt a lot closer. I was like, we're not politicians. 
Mm. We're not, you know, people that are trying to, uh, you know, get at office or do anything. We're not journalists or that yeah. stuff. So we're, we're a group of friends in the Middle East and we're Arabs, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we have to be worried? If we're friends, let's just be friends. Do you mind? Let's get to friendship as quick as possible. And like you said, if I say something that you disagree with, just be like, okay, you know, this is a guy that I disagree with and maybe I won't hang out with him. Mm. But why would I get offended by it? That's the thing I don't understand. But I think that's maybe like an issue with, uh, I don't know, like it's like an issue with the world in a way. I mean, there's this always been, I guess, historically until now, there's always like an us and them mentality, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's propagated by society or by... Western like, imperialism. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, it's largely to blame, I guess, you know. But, you know, things like the Democrats and the Republicans yeah. or the sports team, this sports Red team. Red versus blue. Yeah, like, you know, all kinds of things is always an us and them. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, if someone is following, you know, is that on that team, then they're against us or they can't be with us, you know, which I think is is kind of silly. Like you can have differing views or, you know, differing, uh, you know, support different teams or whatever it might be. But it's like, you know what, I respect that you are, I mean, I don't know, let's say we talk about video games. Let's, you know, I'll say like, okay, I respect that you are PC master race. You know, I don't have a PC, I play PlayStation and you respect that and yeah. it's, and it's all good, right? And I respect the peasants, it's fine. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're a lowly bunch, but you know. No, I'm both, um, I'm okay. But, but you know, that's, and that's the thing, that's what I find kind of odd because, I mean, I don't know, the way we were always raised, like me and my sister, is, is that, like you, it's fine for people to be different because, you know, everyone's, got their own views on things but you judge people based on like their character and their actions and you know not what they uh you know what kind of team they support whatever it's okay to agree to disagree right exactly and and i think that's um you know a challenge because i think sometimes people uh, you know a lot of places in the world can't get that through their heads in a way they don't want to accept that they're like no well i can't really be friends with this person if they don't align with all the opinions I have, let's say, yeah, um, which I think is silly. I mean, you it, know, it is. It's 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 just. It, it sometimes it's it's like you said, it's tribalism. It's so weird to see it as well shift the pendulum in different countries. Considering, like you know, when I grew up in Saudi, there was people that were all about you know not wanting to offend and making sure everybody's okay and mm. looking out for everybody's interest. But nowadays, I'm seeing that change massively with the internet and everything else, and people are a lot more comfortable about. Hey, tell me what you think. Like, what do you want to talk about? What but don't do you, you want... think? Don't you think people are like even nowadays? It's like everyone's offended by everything. You know, it's it's like you can almost can't say stuff on the internet without someone being like, well, that's uh, you know, offended you know what's by surprising it. though the the, mo- the the people that actually get offended the most mm. are Westerners towards anything that for yeah, example yeah, some of the shows yeah. I've done right like the people that would say comments are usually the Westerners and they it's not because they actually feel like I'm they're just trying to be protective of the minority audience right. Mm. Or not, sorry, the majority artists, which are Arabs and everything else, and they're the minorities in the room, but they want to make sure nobody's getting offended. And they want to make sure, like, they're, like, for example, I did a show where uh, it was a, a Colin McPherson, you remember the Irish play? Were you there for that Seafarer? Yeah, I was. That was pretty good. Right. Okay. okay so it was, it was really good, right? And I'm not going to, like, uh, mention specifics about who said what and what, what went where, but the, some of the people that were running the show mm-hmm. were worried about the fact that I was cast as. The, the, the devil, right? But in a classy the way. The Arab guy is always the bad guy, right? I mean. <laughs> well, this is the thing. It's actually the big part. Yeah. It's the best part. It has the best lines. It has mm. all the monologues, right? It's him and Sharky. So mm. my character is not like, oh, the cartoonish devil. It's a tragic portrayal of this character that is now going through this pact and has to sure. kind of redeem himself, yeah. right? So I'm working as a foil to Sharky in a way. But I shine so much in that role mm. I felt honored by it. So you did shine in that role. Thank you. So, 
Uh, I want to say thanks to Hannah for giving me the part. Um, but yeah, some of the other people that were worried, they would just they have to be careful because they're in you know the country and they want to make sure they don't offend people. Sure. And they were worried like, oh my god, we put the brown person in the role of the devil. Is this wrong? Because everybody else in the show, which is like a five man show, <laughs> was white. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can see how that could be misconstrued. It can be, but like. You'd be surprised. The, the Saudis, Arabs, people I would invite, like even if I'm doing live streams or anything else, the Saudis are the ones that are like, oh my God, yes, go do it for Saudi. You know, like they're, they want to see themselves kind of out there. But they that's, do. that's a funny thing though, because it's, it's, I don't know, like until you mentioned it now, it never kind of dawned on me that I was like, oh, they cast like Khalid the brown guy as the devil. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I never but kind of thought of it. we established you're more Bahraini than you are like... Yeah, but, but I don't know. That's that's weird. Like for me, it's so odd to for someone to really get like so in or, or like to get offended somehow by that or see that as a thing. Like oh, they must have done it on purpose or like. And I'm sure there are people that would think that way and think some. oh, this there must be some agenda. But it, I mean, I don't know. Well, like, some people are looking for outrage no matter what. You know, they're they're. But why are these people like? Don't, don't they have better things to do? I mean, no, you know, why are you just like it's like the it's like trolls in real life or something. Yeah. You know, they're just it's, trying yeah. to find something to to shit on or, or like this is uh, this exists so much in, in, in gaming I don't know if you've ever been to like any video game that you've played extensively or you've loved you've, have you visited forums for video games at all no like I mean Reddit, look like, I've, I've played online games and you know had like you know been cussed out by 11 year old probably yeah. so <laughs> I've had that experience uh, which is why I don't use a headset anymore yeah um, but no I, I've never been to like really I don't really go in well there's this there's anything. this phenomenon Right? When a game is really popular, let's say, mm-hmm. and eventually like there's maybe a drop-off or like, you know, there's not as much people playing as there was maybe since the game came out like a year ago. Yeah. And when that drop-off happens, there's a phenomenon where people that go to the boards, the message boards, and they'll say, oh, the game is dead or, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing this to the game. The game is crap. They're, you know, they're trying to rig the game. Mm-hmm. And they forget, a lot of people forget that the people that visit the forums are only the people that are dissatisfied with the game. Right. So if you're happy with the product, you're playing you're the not, game. You're not. You're playing. You're not gonna go. Oh my god! I love my experience. Thank you so much. You're busy for, playing, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you love the experience. Exactly. You're not gonna go and thank people, right? So there's this this weird aspect where you have a very vocal minority mm. that will yell and scream and be outraged or be you know feel, feeling like they they want to protect somebody. Mm. Sometimes in good nature as well. I can understand where it comes from. Yeah. But like I said, you look at it culturally. Uh, Bahrain has always been an open, multi-ethnic place, but yeah. I'm feeling like there are some people that you know want to be protected these days, make sure nobody's getting offended and everything else. But in Saudi, where people were like, uh, kind of, they didn't have a voice for the longest time. Not that, not saying that somebody oppressed them, but they just didn't have a platform. Like there was no Twitter, sure. there was nothing else. And when they got that, people were like, "Oh my God, you all want to talk about stuff." Yeah. And it didn't have to do with anything controversial. It was just we wanted to talk about stuff. So Saudis are a lot more likely to go, oh my God, there's a Saudi actor over there mm. and we love him. Or we, there's a, a guy, he's a guitarist, he's Saudi, like he, yeah. he elevated yeah. our head to like a position of, of, of you know, yeah. like, oh my God, he's one of us, you know? There's so much of that going on that you, I, I'm surprised that it's, it's shifted, you know, mm. like from avoiding conflict to people that actually want to go out there. I, I don't even know what started it. That's the, the way I mean, maybe it's just a natural, it's a natural progression of the world, you know, it's just more and more people from different countries and cultures are getting famous at, you know, various things and acting and music and, and whatever, because you get a lot more, you know, kind of Arabs and 
you know, like Indians and Asians and Africans, you know, in movies yeah, and in, yeah. uh, Netflix, you know, man. Yeah, Netflix no, like, is like, a Benetton ad, I swear. Yeah, I mean, it just in, in all kinds of industries, and, and it's great, you know, because you it just opens things up. But then you always have a, like a patriotism, right? Like, yeah, like whenever I hear of like a Polish person who, you know, while not, you know, to my mom's disappointment, not a stark patriot, um, <laughs> you know, like, 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 you know, a Polish person does something great or is like, you know, in a band or you know, whatever, like, I, I do feel proud, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm a, you know, like, right. I'm a Pole, and I feel solidarity, and, and all that stuff, and I'm sure everyone, you know, as you said, like, if you, you know, you hear about a Saudi guy who's, a, you know, become famous in a movie, or yeah. he's in a band, you're kind of like, oh, cool, he's Saudi, I'm Saudi, yeah. there's like a, there's like a, like a, like a, yeah, like a team you wanna, you wanna like thing there. You're living vicariously through that person. You feel like you know there's hope almost like for you or for any for your community for growth for like understanding whatever it is you're into. I guess it's also like an element of I don't know like I mean maybe this is a very generalized statement, but if you look at like movies in like eighties and nineties, like you know you always had like the white guy as the hero, and it was always like you know the the Arab guy was always just like a, yeah. you know like like a, the typecast role. You know he's but, wise. He's, uh, yeah, he's you know, yeah. The Asian guy is always the wise kung fu master. Like it's all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like okay, it's not exactly, but you know you kind of got that. Right. But nowadays you look at movies and it's just so mixed and matched and 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 it's it's nice because it's just more real, obviously, and and yeah. you know you get all kinds of characters from all kinds of backgrounds and it's just a much more obviously realistic representation of the world. Yeah, well, you know, it's so that's... multicultural and. and that's what I'm hoping we get with like with the podcast. The intention was I want to show people that because I don't want to show this to people in the region. The people mm-hmm. in the region already know that like you exist and that people have been living in the region for like you are considered you know like you've been in the region since you were a kid. Yeah, so many people. Expat brat. Expat brat. Right. Exactly. Aramco brat. So Dominic, him being like like he can speak Bahraini like actually yeah, yeah, Arabic. Yeah. Like, people, that gets like, crazy. We know this. Yeah. As Arabs, we know this. We know how diverse we are. We know how much our culture is like influenced by so many other aspects. But when you talk to a global community for mm. so long, nobody knew this. But I don't know. Is that really the case? Because, I mean, I don't. You know, you look at like how many Arabs and expats live in the states and stuff, and like yeah. Chicago is apparently full of Polish people and yeah. and uh, you know people from from like Asia and stuff. So I mean, it, it's not like these people aren't you know people from all nations aren't all around, right? Like, like I, I don't know. It's yeah. There's very, I think, few countries nowadays where you go and it's just like those, the people from that country are the only ones that live there. Like everywhere, it's just full of all kinds yeah. of expats. So you'd think that people would be just so, you know, accepting and open and it would just be such a normal thing. But you still get places where, I mean, in the States, for instance, you know, the, the stuff that's happening that's very kind of right-wing sentiments yeah. and even in Europe some yet, places you you'll, know? You'll, even though like Texas is very like that but you'll find like a lot of Arabs in Houston yeah, because exactly. of like Aramco and, and that influence and, and all so that it's, yeah. so it's kind of weird I mean obviously I mean we don't get won't get into the politics because no. you know there's a whole conversation no, no, no. To local there, politics we don't get into no no not local right. politics I mean even even like you know the yeah. states and all that stuff yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah I mean it, it's weird you know it's the world is so kind of mixed and matched and and you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to go to a place where you didn't have people from all kinds of nations. So for me, it's, it's, you know, it's nice to see that also represented in movies and, and well, music and all that kind of stuff. You you're know, you're right. Awesome. That's the thing. They were around for ages and they, you know, you'd hear about it all the time in the nineties, you know, people in their communities in Canada or the States or anywhere else, and especially mm-hmm. Europe. Europe has known us for a long time. The Europeans are closer to the Middle East because of a, a long history of kind of, you know, people going back and forth, you know, you, there's commerce, there's trade, there's communities, yeah, sure. all that stuff. But with, with Western uh, American TV, there was never anybody in power 
that was like a producer or anything else that would be working in marketing mm. or anything else that would understand they'd be catering specifically to an American audience. Now I feel like, and, and please, like we feel like this is true for mm. um, like global marketing or branding, whatever it is. It feels like everything from movies to shows, everything has become an international audience. We are no longer targeting only just one market, as big as the market can be. But most of all, like if you look at Netflix, the shows, like I see Japanese shows on there. Mm. I see all kinds of shows that yeah, say so. targeting, okay, how do I get a global audience going? Mm. No, you're right. I think you, you do get a lot of, uh, you know, obviously Netflix here, we get like a bit of a, a, a different kind of shows than, than what you get outside. But I think it's quite cool because you're right. You do get a lot of like, there's a lot of Indian movies on there. There's like yeah. great documentaries. There's a lot of like Japanese stuff, uh, which is cool, you know, because it's quite interesting to, to watch that stuff because you get so used to like the Hollywood westernized I guess, like, format of movies and things. There's yeah, a the certain, whitewashing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. It, it's, there's, like, a format to it. Yeah. And so then when you watch something like a Japanese movie, they have, a, like, a whole different perspective. You know, the way they approach a movie or the way they approach a story is very different. And it's quite cool because it's it's kind of fresh and it's, and it's you know... I mean, I, you know, I think you're the same in that regard. Like, you know, I like new stuff and new things mm. and something that's different than what I know, you know. I wouldn't want to watch the same type of movie for the rest of my life. That's yeah. boring as <laughs> um, you know, so you watch like an Indian movie, for instance, which is like three hours long, lots of dancing, but it's awesome, you know, it's, it's yeah. something totally different and it's just like a different approach to a movie, you know, which is quite cool. So it's, it's nice because it opens your mind a bit. It gives you kind of a new experience of how things can be done. And, and so it's great. I mean, it is cool that Netflix does have all these different... Uh, so what do you personally think was the cause of it? Because I don't know when the point happened, but there was a, a point in time... I recognize it in my head where I'd watch like a video game that was a Japanese video game or anime, whatever it is, a movie from Japan. And the fight choreography was distinctly Asian. You can tell the difference between like Die Hard and like Asian choreography. Mm. And then one day somebody decided in American video games that we're going to use like the best elements out of that game Mm. and transfer it. And now it's no longer just Western and Eastern. It's become we all amalgamate. We're like the new Roman Empire of media. I think it's just a, it's like a natural progression, right? Because you're going to yeah. eventually like take the best parts of all the different things and it's like a convergence, right? Yeah. Like you eventually be like, okay, well, like the best choreographers are, let's say, maybe Asian. So, okay, let's, let's start using that choreography in all our kinds of movies, you know? And then they say, okay, but the best music is from whatever this place. So let's start using that, you know, and the best acting is from this. And, you know, it's just kind of like everything will start, it converges, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the world now. You know, because back in the day, like, everything was a bit more fragmented or disconnected, right? Like, you would kind of, you know, uh, you know, you might get a copy of a movie from a different country, like, if you somehow got it on VHS or even yeah. or saw it in the cinema or whatever. But things were, like, a lot more localized, you know? Yeah. Like, like in America, you you know, the American studios would make more movies for American audiences because exactly. it would be, you know, watched there. Or, like, in India, they would make movies for the Indian audiences because it wasn't really shipped out of India, right? Like, you would just... The, that country would watch it, let's say. But now, obviously, the world is converged so much. Like Netflix, now, like, everyone in the world has Netflix. So you then suddenly have to target to, like, a much bigger audience. It's not like, oh, you're targeting just Netflix to, like, the States or to South America or to Europe or whatever. You're like, okay, we have Netflix viewers who are all across the globe and all different cultures and nationalities. So we got to make stuff that's going to be for everyone, right? And and I think with movies as well, like, movies are much more global affairs nowadays, you know, like... You know, you, you create a movie that just gets watched by everyone in every country. So you start kind of, I guess, or maybe what I mean is like you, you get more, um, 
exposure. Yeah. yeah. Like, so if you're like a, a great, you know, let's say, you know, like a composer uh, in, in Asia. Korea or yeah, or Korea, a great composer in Korea, it's much easier for you to become like discovered by other exactly. studios and, and for them to work. You have a unique sound, a unique cultural yeah. aspect to you as And well, even yeah. it's easier for them to work with you. You know, yeah. you, you might be able to do it like remotely somehow. You could record stuff in the studio there and fly. Whereas before, it's like, unless you were like really looking out for this kind of person, yeah. then you, you know, you would work with the people you came across, you heard about, and it would just be harder to hear about people exactly. so far across the world. Exactly. So now it's just everything's been brought together so you can actually just take the best parts of all the... You so know, you the heard of people, uh, Tom Romansky says, globalism, an amazing thing, a good thing. I love that. globalization. Globalization <laughs> yeah. is the best. I see that's the thing. There's, there's, <laughs> there's downsides to it, but then we never talk about these upsides to it. You know what I mean? Like, especially with media. I feel creativity and stuff like that. But but do you feel like... like with When I look at a Netflix show, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, they green light everything. But it's much more of a possibility for me to actually find content or see a movie or a TV show... Please make a Warhammer Horus Heresy TV show. Netflix. That would be pretty. I would watch Please that. Please do I would that. Watch that. Please. I actually know someone on Netflix, so I will. I if you Please give me a pitch, I will tell put you them, in touch with them. The Horus Heresy <laughs> Games Workshop. Get on this with Netflix. They're the only people will do it, and it's gonna be like amazing. I don't care if you have to get a Japanese anime studio to do it. Just do it. All right, you did Castlevania. <laughs> but yeah, that's something I'd never see. Mm. Castlevania on Netflix. Yeah. Why? Who, who, which audience are you targeting? People like, love anime, man. I mean... Uh, yeah, but it's you know, just... They know. Like, they do... They know what people want and they're ahead of the curve as far as everybody else is concerned. But then you wonder, well, how is this breaking the laws of reality? It used to be when something is that big, mm-hmm. that huge, millions of people watch it, mm-hmm. it becomes crap. That's usually the, the old formula, right? You go, you went mainstream, bro. You mm-hmm. sold out. So what, what has changed now? What, what do you feel has... I don't know. I mean, I think you still get... Uh, maybe it's like a best of both worlds thing. It's like stuff on Netflix doesn't really feel mainstream, even though some of it is. Yeah. You know, like they, they're doing... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to give a good example. Like, okay, like they're Marvel stuff, right? Mm. Uh, like Punisher, which I recently watched was great. Yeah. Like Daredevil and all that stuff. Like it's quite mainstream, right? Marvel and that kind of comic stuff is pretty mainstream, yeah. but it doesn't feel that way when you watch it it's still quite gritty and like especially for instance i mean uh, you know the punisher for instance as a, an example was a show that i really really liked it's yeah. quite violent but it's 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 cool the way they their take on uh the superhero you know and it's not like okay it's the punisher and he's just going out and he's killing people and he's just like violent and stuff it's it, they made it all about like the war in afghanistan they made it more all about like the veterans coming back and like right. ptsd and like the stuff they have to deal with and it, they made it like kind of a social commentary which was quite cool because you know it's like a comic book character that's obviously all about just like you know going crazy and shooting up but yeah. they really linked it to something quite did. important like, which i thought you, was great you, you know was, you can see that as well like there was much more of a story narrative to it than the typical punisher from the comics yeah right? So they actually went the extra mile to make him a bit more human, mm. a bit more like adding some depth to him, right? Yeah. Like he could have been a very flat character yeah. and people would have been fine and happy with it. Yeah. So the, the scary thing is, like, sure, they made a couple of crap like maybe shows that people didn't sure. like about Marvel, but that one specifically, they could have been lazy about it mm. and yet they weren't. But I think they're probably, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know their like business model or, or how it works but I, I you know like they are quite good at making shows right mm-hmm. like Netflix to be very honest have a pretty good track record sure they they you know it's hit and miss like with anyone but most of their stuff is pretty decent you know yeah and I'm sure there's a you know look you know 
these kind of companies, especially when you're the size and, and you're in as many people's homes as Netflix, they must have some super sophisticated data analytics yeah. of who's watching what, how long for, they probably run focus groups all the time. Yeah. So they just, they, they use data and information to figure out, okay, well, what's the show that's actually going to work? You know, what kind of format does it, you know, do people want something that's more gritty or like, for instance, you know, part of my use of the word, but like, you know, back in the day when you had superhero movies, it was always very camp. Right. Yeah. You look at all the old Batman with Adam West. Batman's it's forever. It's, you know, spandex and yeah. you know, even before Batman Forever. Well, Batman Forever was a good example. It was the, too. It was the height of it. Was it. Yeah, everyone's in spandex. It was all very like funny yeah. and and yeah. you know kind of cheesy. And now you look at superhero movies and the ones that do are are much more gritty, right? Like, yeah. okay, now you have uh, you know Guardians of the Galaxy, which is funny and stuff. But you look at like the Batman. But they're anti heroes, man. How how often? Yeah, do you you're right. Yeah. You're right. They're anti heroes, definitely. Um, but you know, like even Avengers and, and like, okay, Punisher and, um, you know, all these kind of daredevil, they're all very gritty, actually. They're, they're much more real. And I think people like that kind of take on things, you know, it's more creative and it's a little bit more, it feels fresh. It feels like, yeah, exactly. It's like a reinvention of it. And and for us, it's like, I feel validated. I don't know about you. And like, I, like, I see that stuff on on, on a big screen. A lot of people, you know, would, would. Yeah, there was my generation of, of nerds and geeks were, were very like, you know, like, oh, we were there first, mm. very hipstery about, you know, like, yeah, it, it was cool when we were out ostracized for it. Right. You know? Yeah. But I feel like, oh, my God, I'm validated. Like, there's, there's my stuff out there. And it's like people love it and they, they accept it. And it's, it's well, they said geeks will inherit the world. Right. So maybe yeah. that's what's happening. We're like, so there was a mistake. They didn't over. mean they didn't mean the meek will inherit the world. They meant the geek. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah, oh, exactly. God. I, I was I was really happy about that as well for myself. But but I mean, if you think about it, that's probably. Um, I mean, okay, you look at a lot of guys who obviously you get like variations, various degrees of geekdom. You know, yeah. you get like super nerdy, and you get like kind of people who are quite cool but into geek stuff. But a lot of these people are now, you know, who are geeks when you're younger. Like, look at us. You're like, okay, we're in various corporations or, or various you know jobs or whatever and you know you're still like you know i work in like a a marketing company and i work with with banks and real estates and all that stuff which are you know you could say like kind of grown-up things but i'm still into like video games and and cartoons and whatever you know so you think of all these other guys who are now producers or i mean you think of like jj abrams right like he was a massive geek when he was a kid so now he's in a position where like oh you know what i can actually make movies and stuff so obviously he's gonna make you know stuff he likes like geek movies so you know i i I thank social media for that in a way because like it used to be if you were um you know multidisciplinary or like in Mm. your case an autodidact or whatever it is you don't fit into one label like kind of the people i want on the show there's been social media has made that um, like so not just socially acceptable you're cool if you're the 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 chick that's transcultural and you know gamer girl who also yeah. is a you know financial analyst who does mm. you know yoga on the side yeah you see these people that are trying to like kind of hit all these boxes and they're showing like well you can do all these things mm. and they synergize well and they don't mean like you have to pick a side like there's not it's not just you know when we were growing up it's like the five power rangers and yeah, then you get the extra one that was the weird. We'd give it like, oh no. Yeah, no one wants to do that. No. <laughs> Nobody wants Nothing that one. Ranger, no. no, I want to, everybody falls into a category. Right? Yeah. That's it. But nowadays, no, people don't fall into categories, and so that's become popular. And you get to see the benefit of it when you are working in a workplace, and you're like, hey, Tom, these guys are in Korea. Mm. You know, you need to like talk to them, and maybe you understand something about yeah. the culture because you've been I, not to like. You're not going to understand Korean culture just I by mean, watching yeah. like, or playing yeah. video games. <laughs> but maybe a conversation would start about Overwatch or Dota, whatever it is, because sure. that person, you know, has it. It's relative mm. to his world, you know? 
I think I think that's part of going back to you're right, and I think social media has definitely had a big role to play in that. In uh, you know, just people sharing more stuff and yeah. and the globalization as well. Like I guess the world has just become so much smaller in a way, right? So the things that I might be interested in, I can easily share with you know the whole world about whether it's you know me recommending a show or someone telling me about this video game I should try, and and it yeah. could be someone I don't know, but it's you know, on a social media channel that I follow. So it's, it's kind of like people are just sort of coming up with the, having more of these shared interests. There's more access to things. I mean, I'm sure if you were like in, you know, the twenties or the thirties, if you wanted to do yoga, I mean, you know, it wasn't like you had yoga teachers everywhere and, and you know, you yeah. probably have to actually travel somewhere or exactly. go somewhere to do it. Whereas now it's like, I want to do yoga. Okay. There's probably a yoga teacher in like every country in the world. You yeah. Know, and, you know, and it's become like, okay, you'll see a, a UFC guy doing yoga and that's like, you know, like Conor McGregor when he's just doing all the, the weird, the weird like, acro yeah, yeah. stuff, you know, like, come on, who, who would do that back in the day? Nobody. But yeah, you, that's true. Now you see kind of like the merging of all these different disciplines and ideas and it's mm. become like a, people see it as a benefit, you know, they see it yeah. as enhancing their abilities, making them more relatable. You know, you're not just the boxer. You're the boxer that knows how to talk to people. Yeah, you have yeah. showmanship skills. Mm. And you know how to work your social media account. You know how to, you know, make yourself, uh, rebrand yourself mm. if you go out of date. or what. You know, the, all these skills, like, kind of always grow as a human being mm. was something you would never see on camera. We all knew mm. it if you were in, in the know to know that, okay, you're, thir- you know, we're, we're 30. We would know, okay, that person, he's a banker. And he mm. also kite surfs. And he might be into this. And yeah. he's also an amazing, like artist you know he plays the guitar but that would never show it would never translate to media they right. would always say no, no no this is too confusing for people right how do we make it more basic more simple more straightforward right i mean people i guess people like uh people like pigeonholes and labels and like kind of black and white and so yeah. just like i know where this person is rather than looking at someone as a i guess you'd say like a grayscale you know um would you say then in branding or not even brand, stay away from the, the corporate stuff i just want to talk about your ask your your experience with seeing people working their social media accounts yeah. for like small businesses or even personal businesses have you felt like there's a lot more people that are um aware that the game is open now that it's hopeful that it's not like you know get into a box and stick with it that they're actually you know adapting and evolving on the go we asked this question earlier but mm. now i want to get it on a personal level do you feel like there's much more hope in it um, it's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I really, uh, I think that there's just so much content and there's so many people. And I mean, one of the good things about like social media, and even if you look at on a broader thing, uh, when you look at internet, right, the internet and connectivity, it's so easy, uh, to just do whatever you want to do, right? Like yeah. things like tools or technical ability, I think are less of a hindrance to someone wanting to pursue something than it was back in the day. For instance, okay, like, so I play guitar, right? Yeah. Um, and I like to, you know, write songs and just kind of, you know, mess around and, and stuff. But obviously, if, if, if I was like back in the day and I wanted to record something, I would probably have to go to the studio or rent studio time yeah. or do something. I have GarageBand on my computer and I never really properly learned how to use it. Just watched a few YouTube videos and I can make songs that sound pretty okay. You know, like obviously they're not like, you know, radio ready, but they sound decent, you know, with the drums and the bass and all that stuff, which I don't play. I just play the guitar and it sounds good. And it's only because I can get the YouTube videos to show me how to do this or that. I can get GarageBand. I can get, you know, iRig for my, you know, uh, my guitar. Now that's one example of like music, right? Yeah. If you take it to things like, you know, these guys who do social media who, 
you know, go snowboarding with their GoPro. Like there's all this content and stuff that you can create because just in the world, you have all these cool tools and it's hardware and software that, and videos on how to do it and, and, you know, like tutorials and people sharing that knowledge, obviously. I mean, someone has to create that video showing you how to do, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. So it's resulted... Instead of going back to the 90s where we're just opening yeah. up encyclopedias and looking for that one guy. Yeah, like knowledge yeah. is, is, is so easily accessible. I think it's almost like there's no excuse to not pursue. Like the only yeah. limitation you have is really, you know, what you're kind of motivated to do and your creativity. But like the tools and all these things, it's it's not that hard to learn. Exactly. Uh, most things, I think, you know, and, and especially if you can Google it, you can YouTube it. It's it's like all the knowledge is there. You, I, I've... With transferable skills as well, things you wouldn't rec- like. Uh, let's say resource management games, video games that are resource management. Yeah, games. for sure. You'd learn a lot about you know how to how to balance get, things. Out, yeah, you're yeah. telling me about the other game where you're just making sure. Okay, I have to think strategically. I have to think about this. I have to yeah, think about yeah. the short game, the long game, the end game, the, everything. Right? Yeah, you're, you're you're totally right. I mean, those kind of uh, you know people always say video games don't benefit society, as my parents also also used to yeah. say. But I I think that's not true because. You know, okay, it also depends the games you play. I mean, if you're playing, exactly. like, violent games and just killing a bunch of people, then maybe that doesn't have so much benefit. But if you're playing strategy games or puzzles and all, you know, that does, um, you know, your, your brain is a muscle, right? You, yeah. You're training it with problem solving and, like you said, resource management and, you know, even even some, you know, first-person shooter games where you're you're kind of having to react quickly. So you, you think quickly. And I, I would say me having gamed from a young age, I think definitely it benefited me later. Like right. in, in work, there are some things that I would, uh, you know. translated under other things. Yeah. Like Even said, like if you'd say about jujitsu, like I've heard people talk about it as if it is like a chess game in a way. No, it is. I mean, it's called, I mean, they call it human chess, right? Because yeah. you have to be very, I mean, I've done various martial arts when, when I was younger. I've always really loved it. But um, jujitsu is the one that I really stuck with. And, and I mean, I haven't done it for a little while now, but uh, I did go to Reza's here and, and trained with Reza Monfradi who was really really like amazing teacher and yeah. he's like, like another story honestly, Bahrain, honestly like a, another journey no he is he's yeah. really like I mean they've created like um, uh, I mean it's another example of how Bahrain is quite you know amazing I mean uh, Reza and, and his guys like created the first uh, I'm not sure if it's the first martial arts like association in Bahrain but it's like the it's like they created a jiu-jitsu national they, team they trailblazed and, it and yeah, yeah. that made it acceptable like because before that you know even if you were just doing boxing it was it was considered like oh violent sports yeah, 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 there's yeah. such a negative connotation yeah. to it and he and others made it so acceptable and kind of you know out, they did the proper outreach to it and yeah yeah and now they have like UFC matches here and they train with uh, um, I think one of the the KHK team yeah uh and so so it's it's really like growing and obviously like you know the the kind of royal family and the the leadership like supported it yeah. which is quite cool you Nurtured know like, it helped it grow yeah, yeah especially like the 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 younger uh you know the younger brothers are really like into sports and growing environment which is really nice you know it's a really good example for like Bahraini youth and especially like not just the traditional you know Bahrain and in the middle east always like the horse racing and stuff yeah. is like but they're like doing other stuff triathlon the ironman that's happened yeah. the spartan race you know it's they quite love cool. it as well people yeah. are really enjoying it yeah. and and definitely people do i mean there's a few people in our office who do like the ironman and they're really into it and it is cool you know it's showing behind there's all these other avenues and things and it's all part of that sort of globalization and kind of spreading things out and just yeah. okay well yeah, we could always just be doing the horse riding thing, but you know, there's all this other stuff that we could be doing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, going back to go, go where the energy wants to go. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so going back to the jujitsu thing, I mean, I did it for like two years, and there's something quite cool. I mean, jujitsu is very much 
yes, it's very like intensive, obviously physically, because you have to be, yeah. you know, it's a lot of cardio and strength, but you know, it's very much about thinking and, and about, you know, kind of outsmarting your opponent rather than yeah. just trying to force your way through, uh, which is, you know, it's kind of like a parallel to life, I guess you could say, because, you know, there's so many situations that it's just always better to be strategic and think about like a solution around the problem rather than just try and hit it head on. Because, exactly. you know, if you hit it head on, usually like either you're going to hurt yourself or you'll hurt someone else or, you know, obviously metaphorically head on, um, you know, or the situ- situation will break. Whereas if you find a way around it, it's just a much more, um, you know, like a, a amicable way to solve a problem. I think. Yeah. And yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of transferable skills and I think, nowadays you know people if they if people are good at like finding information i guess if you're good at finding information and good at picking stuff up right i think that's almost like the most beneficial skill you could have because yeah. you can get access to any type of information you you need but you have to be able to know what information you need for the the thing that you're doing and how to find that information and obviously with the internet there's like a lot of crap out there yeah so you need to also know how to filter right you need to know okay well you know this guy's perspective on what i'm looking at is not really great but this guy's is really good and and how do you know where to make that that's that's the skills we're developing right now especially our generation Mm -hmm. i'm seeing it i don't know if it's like um I don't know if it's just specifically because some people were a lot more starved for information and we would have to look at, like I said, look into encyclopedias or find the only jujitsu guy in Bahrain and when he's gone, he's gone, you know? Whatever it is that was your thing, you were struggling to find the information and then once the internet came along, sure, our generation exploded into Mm. kind of being like self-taught and and like autodidacts, as I said, and everybody started doing that Mm. with Pinterest and everything else. But when people criticize the younger kids, you know, the people that came after us in generation, Mm. you know, me and Z and all that, it's just I I wonder if people don't realize that it's gonna be they are too scared about oh look at them they're on Snapchat and everything else like yeah but we're the ones and so will they be the ones that figure out okay when I have kids mm. I will know the games that are good for my kid like be like hey you know play Dota because you know you're gonna learn team skills and strategy end game thinking short game thinking all that other stuff and maybe it's a competitive game but it fuels his mindset in a specific mm. way and I'll be able to curate the experience oh I'm, I'm just talking out of my ass mm. here like I don't know anything about parenting but that's how I envision it you know like me being able to kind of nurture him and figure out like the same way you would a, a movie mm. like why would, it's your responsibility in a way to go well if he plays that game I'm encouraging this and if I play that game he's good. but he can still learn bad you know behavior if he goes into Dota and he's not a team player and gets salty and, and sorry, I'll explain this to the viewers who don't know. Dota is like a, I should assume that nobody knows this. Uh, Dota is a, 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 a strategy game that's uh, also known as a MOBA or like a multiplayer online mm. arena. And people, uh, five-man teams go up against five-man teams and they play this uh, about hour session-based mm. games almost. And they will develop their characters, power them up, think about synergy and being able to coordinate with one another. And it's very vital to coordinate as a team. And it's high-paced. A lot of things happening really quickly. A lot of things going uh, to uh, like what's known as meta strategies and kind of coming into anything else. Mm-hmm. Once that clicks in a kid's head and they understand that whole framework, and they also understand that they have to be a mature human being mm-hmm. to be able to deal with failure, to be able to deal with, you know, my partner maybe is not as good at that front and how can I make mm-hmm. the team work? It's only now in gaming that we're starting to see the same thing that Reza did and other people in MMA mm-hmm. around the world have done for jiu-jitsu and other yeah. things, which is people are starting to consider, you know, this is an esports team. It needs mm-hmm. a coach. They need to play in-house. 
They need yeah. to figure out, you know, not just how good their game is, how they are as people. Yeah. And I feel hopeful, like, that the kids will figure that out without being, like, in, so scared, scared about it. I just wonder if... Um, I wonder if because they have access to all the information, mm-hmm. will they actually seek it out compared to us who were starved? <laughs> I mean, it's a... It's an interesting question because the... I mean, I always think of like, okay, when you get access to more information, you know, there's always a chance that someone's going to abuse it, right? Mm. You know, you have this whole thing of like fake news and like eco chambers and stuff like yeah. that. So, you know, I, I would like to think like, how do we, uh, you know, without obviously, um, without like censoring the internet or censoring stuff, like how, how do you actually make sure that they're not getting kind of fed the wrong information or, or being misled, you know? And, and it's not only even for kids, you know, it's even for like us, you know, when it comes yeah. to news and all these kind of things, um, you know, uh, you know, how, how do you, because it's like, yes, okay, you have like the, the, let's say the seeker of information, right? Who's, who's looking for games or he's looking for whatever and he's going to learn these skills, but then you have the person who's giving or creating yeah. that information, you know, yeah. like where do you kind of draw that line of, of. <laughs> I don't know. I believe you know. Is it totally like on? You know, is it your kind of responsibility? Like you know, we're gonna everyone's just gonna put out a bunch of stuff on the yeah. internet, and you, it's it's your, uh, you know, it's your call. Kind of what you. Well, do we have or? a choice anymore? Like, there's no way to limit it anyway. Honestly, if you think about censorship, censorship has failed for the longest time. Mm. This is not gonna work. It's people find workarounds. I've been finding like I yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't really censor you can't. stuff online. Right? You can't. Yeah. You can do a good job to make it seem like you're trying, but reality is, is that the best way to deal mm. with it is to educate them on the tactics, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like, if I'm going to use the worst analogy in the world, letting the kids eat their own boogers so they develop immune systems that kind of fight back against all, oh, this is... This is, you know, this is a manipulation tactic. This is this. This is a marketing scheme. Mm -hmm. This is that. And they'll... I feel like with the kids today, they're being bombarded Mm -hmm. by so many strategies that are being repetitively hit at them, hit at them, hit at them. I'm sure you understand. You see it as well in in content, like producing content for marketing and everything else. Mm -hmm. You can't... There's diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can use, like, the same strategy for 10 years now. No, of course you, not. you have to be that adaptive that quickly well, because, because people catch on. Yeah, and I and I mean the world changes and new stuff happens and I mean you know it's like when you were saying now like okay you're gonna have when you're kids you know you're raising them you're gonna tell them to play Dota and whatever they're probably gonna turn to you like that Dota's like so last year, yeah. you know yesterday's news <laughs> you know my dad's such a like loser because he likes Dota and they're gonna yeah. be into like some weird hologram game or God yeah. knows what. I've already figured um, it out. I'm gonna find the kid <laughs> that thinks like me but like me in the past and I'm gonna be like. Do what that kid does. Like yeah. I'll, think, I'll be like, that, I don't have to know what the game is. I'll yeah. just be like, I can tell the personality of the kid mm. that would be probably playing the right games. And yeah. that's probably, I'm just, again, talking way out of my ass. There's, there's going to be a whole sideshow of, of college parenting tips yeah. for like geek <laughs> There's like a bunch of parents out there that's going, yeah, sure, buddy. You keep saying that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're... Oh wow, we did. We went a bit over time, but that's cool. I actually like okay. it. That's like, very nice. Extra. We have so many to touch on. I have so many topics as well. Like I wanted to get into, and um, it's okay. We got we got a lot out of uh, this that I didn't even expect we were gonna get. So okay. thank you, man. Tom has been fun. Always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully, my first podcast. Oh, I wanted to say by the way. So yeah. it's the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Yeah, I've never is. actually listened to a podcast. Not in his so life. So it's two firsts <laughs> for me. 
you know, because I'm kind of listening to myself and you talk on a podcast. Yeah. It's kind of like I'm listening to podcasts and recording That's at the same time. That's the benefit of this. You yeah, know, you get to feel exactly how like you know you don't talk over each yeah. other. Just, you know stuff. You know, like it's, it's like a twilight zone moment. It right is. Now. It's weird. <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, it's, it's been really fun. There's a lot of stuff I want to get into with Tom about. There's uh, you know, we didn't even get touch conspiracy theories. Or, oh uh, god, that's like another two hours. Oh yeah, and um, yeah. I also, hopefully, um, Netflix, please listen to us. Make the Horus Heresy TV show for Warhammer. Get on at Games Workshop and hire this guy. Please <laughs> hire this guy. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Remember, Thanks, please uh, like, share, and subscribe, and uh, also find Tom on his LinkedIn, I guess, if you're interested in somebody with his talent. <laughs> yeah, you want to plug your Instagram or anything else? No, I don't really. I'm not a. Yeah. I'm not a really big Instagram. User. All right. You can follow from six Instagram though. Yeah, follow from six. Good <laughs> job. That's, that's the best thing you could have done. All right, guys. Thanks for listening in. Uh, this is Bedouin Banter. Signing up.